All right, everybody, we are back. We are on episode 15, and we have our good friend and local San Diegan, George Schimmel, on the show today. We are on a current uh, coronavirus schedule, so I appreciate you finding time um, to come in. Any excuse to get out of the house these days, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's funny as I was texting you, too. I don't really know right now, and I haven't been reaching out to a lot of people on a social aspect, but for the podcast, I don't know where people are at because everybody's different right now. Yeah. Some are ultra, I'm going to hibernate, yep. I'm, and, and, and that's totally fine. Some people are way too liberal, some people are in the middle. So I didn't know if you're going to be like, man, fuck that. I'm not doing it. <laughs> so it was great to hear like you were totally down for it. I'm definitely more on the liberal side. So, okay. you know, everything within social guidelines. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't like, as much as it's, it's surrounding our life right now, I guess just on the most general sense, I don't want to talk much on it here because yeah. I have a lot to talk to you about. But just in general, like, have you, we're now a month in as Californians, yep. you know, have you, so to speak, kind of adapted or? I, I think so. The first two weeks were really challenging for me. It's just so much of my life is based on being around people, mm-hmm. social engagement and, and planning big things for the future. Like that's what I really thrive on is like having these big goals that I work towards and basically everything I had planned out for the rest of the year has been shut down. Mm-hmm. And so it was really hard to come to grips with that, coming to grips with seeing your employees file for unemployment, you know, needing fiscal stimulus, you know, to potentially come in and knowing things that you've worked for, trained for that are just shut down. And then you're kind of isolated by yourself. I live by myself. So like, I don't, you know, I see a lot of people and it's, it's been tough. So the first two weeks, it was really like a lot of introspection and kind of getting to know myself a little more and then kind of adapting and and overcoming, so to speak. And now it's just like, this is it. It's out of our control you know, do what we can do, focus on what we can focus on and then move this thing forward because we got to, to get through this, we got to do it together and we got to have that warrior's mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm, I'm finally starting to kind of get that back a little bit, but it's, it's been a challenge. That's interesting too. And I think you put out a video, um, you put like one or two cents yeah. that were really, a lot of it uh, struck a, a really similar chord with me, but I had the same thing weeks one and two. Yep. It was really challenging. Do you, I mean, I want to hear it from you because it might be a similar answer to me. Was there something in particular that, you know, you turned the corner that you could put your finger on or was it just a general? No, I mean, honestly, I went, I went into the studio on a Sunday night at whatever it was about 8 PM and I had been really struggling and I have an injury right now too. So I haven't been really able to run. It's been Mm -hmm. about a month now. So like whenever I'm in tough times, like I can go out and you get that dopamine rush, you get that endorphin rush. And that usually helps me flip my mindset, but I wasn't really able to work out. And so finally I went in there and I really pushed myself. And during that workout, I, I really got deep in my thoughts and I, I kind of flipped it then. And then mm-hmm. literally I just put my, my phone on after and I shot, shot that four or five minute video from the heart, just one rehearsal, just kind of, this is where I'm at. And, you know, I was very real about it saying, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Um, I'm, I'm always known as a very positive guy, sort of, uh, I encourage people. I try and inspire people. I don't like to let my negativity drive through. And that's not how I was really acting. I wasn't really proud of who I was at that point. Mm-hmm. And it finally just hit me like, it's okay to not be okay, but it's important to be honest about not being okay. And then figuring out why, and then trying to figure out how to move forward. So that was kind of me kind of getting over that inflection point. And since then it's, it's been better, but like there's highs and lows, just like business, just like anything. Definitely. And this is really crazy and kind of a foreshadow for the rest of the podcast, <laughs> but I, I have a couple notes here cause uh-uh. we're going to talk about this documentary. <laughs> but one of my notes um, that I wrote as my biggest takeaway from uh, the documentary was, and it's, it's said several times on it is it's okay to not be okay. Yep. 
And I think that that's, that's definitely what people are going through right now. But people are also looking around and they're seeing everybody's not okay right now. Right. You know, because at first you're just, you, you kind of think it's a single, like it's, it's a me thing yep. or it's my business thing. And that's how we felt at first. It kind of felt like we we're attacked, yep. you know, and then we're a yep. lot of our businesses in hospitality and hospitality was a fir- one of the first to, to go. Big time. So we kind of, I, I felt at least a little bit attacked. And I also, I think the week one and two for me, um, I was fighting it. Yep. I was fighting it. And, and also too, I, I, I think you're uh, a, a very influential leader in the town. And, and a lot of my friends and business owners are, are leaders just by nature. They have to, is as I've described it as they, they've taken the weapons away from the leaders. Yeah. And, and, and I take pride mm-hmm. in, you know, being told no and try and finding the yes or finding the solution, finding the back door. And with this, I, I think that's what I was doing week one and two and my old approaches and my old, like, I call it like the superhumanness. Um, right. This was just a hard no. Yeah. It's a, it's a no. It's a no. And and that's really tough tough to get through to and, guys. And, like, and the only answer is patience. Uh-huh. Right? Mm-hmm. And I know that's one of my greatest weaknesses. Like, I want to go out there and I want to find a way to make it happen no matter what. And like you just said, you just got to sit back. You got to take it. And one day at a time. And it's been it's been hard for sure. It's, it's really strange too. And it's, it's funny hearing that you had it, had it happen is I've had some of my most like creative times or thoughtful times during workouts. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, and it's crazy hearing what you said. Cause I didn't know you were finishing a workout and then you just went and hit the, you know, you put the video up like then three minutes later, dude, I, and this, this is definitely, uh, yoga is, is a big one for me. Whenever I finish yoga, people must look in, in the room that I'm in. The first thing I do is I roll over and I'm on my phone. I'm not checking. I, I like, I have such a fucking clear mind yep. and now it'll, it'll, it could be personal related, professional related, but I just, and I'm a writer by nature yep. and I'll just sit there and I'll stay like 10 minutes past class and I'm just writing totally. And I've done it in fitness work. I yep. think it's because you've removed all like, there's no inbound messages, no emails, no nothing like, and especially you're in the studio by yourself. When you're in the studio by yourself or when I'm out on a run, I run with an iPod shuffle. So I got the music going, but I have no mm-hmm. phone on me. I'm not texting. I'm not getting phone calls. That's when I can get into that deep thought. And then yeah, boom, something comes to me then go back and execute on when you get back home. Mm-hmm. Like the, I, I mean, I get so much out of that. It's so important for my mental health. Totally. Yeah, totally. That's rad, man. So I'm sure we'll touch and go on Corona, yeah. cro- coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. This. All right, let's put that to bed. <laughs> but you know, I, I have something, I, I mean, a, a very big shift in, in the conversation originally going into this, but I do want to start our traditional way. And sure. And I don't like, we, we go back to like where you, where you grew up and, and sure. kind of your upbringing. And I know a little about a little, but I don't mm-hmm. know the whole, mm-hmm. whole story. You, you grew up East coast or. Yeah. I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland. Okay. Uh, went to a small Catholic school, K through 12. Um, two blocks from the Naval Academy. So mm-hmm. had a lot of friends that went into the military, so hence my connection there. Mm-hmm. And then went to Boston College, um, finance degree there. Um, from the moment I went to BC, I wanted to go in the finance. I wanted to work for one of the bigger banks. And, you know, looking back, it's it's interesting. It's so much of our college experience at BC, you know, we were in the Big East, then ACC now was around sports. And so junior year, everyone tends to go abroad. And you don't do it in the fall because you don't want to miss the football games. You don't want to miss going mm. to Notre Dame or going to here. It's just like the college experience. So I remember that junior year, I didn't go abroad in the spring. And I always look back at that as one of the best sacrifices I ever made. And not that it's a sacrifice, right? Like very, very privileged to be able to go to a great school and potentially go abroad. But that was after the tech bo- uh, the tech bus and everyone was getting laid off. And I grinded, grinded, grinded for an internship. And I got one mm. when everyone else was studying abroad second semester junior year. And so I went and did my 10 weeks at Merrill and then I got my offer, um, first week, senior year. 
and no it took a, took a lot of the pressure off. So like all I had to do senior year was not flunk out or do anything to get myself expelled. Wow. Uh, a couple close calls. Um, but uh, no. And then, so I started working for Merrill like the week after I graduated and was there for 11 right years. Right out of college. Right. Yeah. About 11 years. Like, for, like literally I, I didn't even move home. I moved to Princeton. So I was working at their corporate campus there. And then I went up to New York for a number of years and then got promoted to Boston to run the Northeast for our group. So yeah, I was there for, I mean, that's been the majority of my working career. Yeah. 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 That's wild, man. Is it, is it often that people get internship and right out of college, they go to, it's, it's tough. Yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging it's, too. It's, it's, really it's very competitive. competitive. And I mean, fortunately they recruited BC, but they primarily recruited a lot of the Ivies and stuff. So it's some pretty stiff competition. Were you like, you see in these, these movies where you like, <laughs> is it like the grunt work when you come in? Are you, is it, oh, yeah. is it like they portray oh, in the movies? Oh, it's so bad. I mean, now you're doing, you're doing filing, you're doing collating, you're doing binders and proposals. And I mean, you're just, you know, literally ground up, right? Yeah, you're starting, yeah. you're starting from scratch and then you got to go, you take your seven, you take your 66, you start taking your tests. And there's some kind of opportunities there for those that really like, like I was the first person to take the seven out of my analyst class of like 20 people in Princeton. Cause like, I wanted to go and just set an example that like, I'm here to work. I'm here to put in like the extra effort mm. and, and stuff like that. So, but that, I, I feel like that's, that's like in anything. I mean, I remember one of my old bosses, he, said something that I always remember. He's like always talked about building these concentric circles of influence outside of your day-to-day position. So like not being afraid to, you know, go to the marketing department or going to the sales group or going to, you know, equity research or whatever and talking to those people, developing relationships, even though that's not your job responsibility. Like taking ownership, taking initiative to kind of expand your influence and your network above and beyond like what your day-to-day responsibilities were. And that's kind of what I always did. And I, I think I learned a lot of those skills. And now I try and translate that to, you know, being more of an entrepreneur and with some of the other stuff I do. And that was, that was always something I look back on that, like, I'll take away from Merrill. Yeah. Aside from, a, and this is just me, like, assuming you get a great financial IQ working at a place like yep. that. I imagine you come out of it with a, a really different communication IQ because you're talking and dealing like, (laughs) and again, I'm only knowing from what I've seen, like, yeah, I mean, so I was in like investment management, wealth management, and then capital markets, like derivative sales. So like what I did the bulk of my time there was packaging and selling different types of option strategies or futures and forwards. And we do currencies, commodities, equities, long, short. So yeah, so that, that was part of like, I love learning that stuff and I love the sophistication of what I dealt with. But then you realize you're like, you're out at a party and you can't talk to anyone about anything you do. And then after a while, you're so exhausted. People are like, what do you do? I'm just, I'm a finance guy. Like, I'm just <laughs> fucking finance guy. Like, that's it. Like, it's not even worth talking about. And so that was part of why I started wanting to get away from there was that what I was doing was so niche oriented mm. that I didn't feel like I was just having a lot of impact on the world mm. or on society. I was like impacting, you know, a, a specific niche group of high net worth individuals. And I, I miss though, I, I, I miss the people I worked with a ton and being in that high energy, electric, totally, yeah. high performer environment where like everyone works their ass off or you're not yeah. there. And a very, and I'll say this on behalf of Wall Street too, because it gets a bad rap from a lot of people that haven't been there, a very philanthropic group of people. Yeah. You know, if you, if you have a bad egg on Wall Street, it's on the cover of every paper, right? It's like a bad cop, you know, maybe take someone's life or, or something, a bad trader, like there's billions of dollars of embezzlement or whatever like that. But there's, there's bad people in every industry. It's just on the forefront. It's just talked mm-hmm. about much more. But by and large, the people that I interacted with and worked with there were so giving, so hardworking, so philanthropic and like, 
I miss being around that environment for sure. Yeah, there, there's like a certain level of villainizing anything that's like money driven, of capitalism, all that. So I could see where they put a label, a reputation over, over it. But but so much of it's like a pure meritocracy, right? And that's yeah. what, that's what I believe in. Like if you work hard, if you go above and beyond, if you excel, if you drive results. You deserve to get compensated for it. Yeah, agreed. You know, no participation trophies on Wall Street. Agreed. Well, that's, that's great. <laughs> so where did you, because I mean, obviously a big com- topic of our conversation is the athlete in you. Where, were yes. you an athlete growing up? And um, Yeah, I, you know, I was one of those guys that, you know, I'm not physically gifted like a lot of other people. Like I, I wish I was, but I was always good at everything I played. Played multiple sports in high school and whatnot. Uh, got recruited to play baseball in college at a few schools, but not not to the schools where I wanted to go to that I was mm. getting into academically. And so BC wanted me to walk on and I had to go there a month early. And I was like, man, my, my grades are going to suffer. My social life's going to suffer. Mm. I'm not going to have the real college experience. So I kind of put it to bed, but I always love sports and being a competitor. Like that's just in my DNA. And so I never really run um, unless I was being told to run or running from the cops. I mean, those were like the two times. <laughs> um, but on Wall Street, like when I was working at Merrill, so it was 2006, I blew my wrist out actually when I was back home playing football, flag football with my high school buddies. I'm the guy that <laughs> blows his wrist out and needs surgery. It's so embarrassing. So embarrassing. And they kind of, they botched the surgery. I had a cast on all oh. winter. And so I put on a lot of weight and I just didn't feel great. And meanwhile, you're going out a lot. I bulked up like 25 pounds. I just felt like garbage. I get the cast off. I can't lift. My wrist is like yay big. So I'm like, I got to start running. I got to do something. I started running up and down the West Side Drive. This is spring of 2007. And after a while, I was like, if I don't have a goal, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to stick with this. And so I literally signed up for the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon, which was a month out. So I had friends out here and I wanted to come visit. And I went out there. You were living there and you started I was living, yeah, because oh, okay. there were just, I had friends out here that I grew up with. They were like, oh, you got to come visit San Diego. I'd never been and everything. I'm like, okay, why don't I go do that marathon? Like, I need a goal, go visit San Diego. So I come here to do the race. I know nothing about running, nothing about nutrition. I don't have anything on me. The last 10 miles of the run, I'm running past the volunteer tents and they're giving out this gooey substance on the end of the sticks. So I'm swiping and eating, swiping and eating, swiping. I'm eating. Think I'm getting a, <laughs> think I'm getting a caloric benefit. It's petroleum jelly. I'm literally fueling on petroleum jelly for the last ten miles of my first marathon. I mean, I, I wait, 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 wait. so so embarrassing. You had one, you and you kept. Well, 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 this is what I say. At least I, at least I can say honestly that I didn't know what petroleum jelly tasted That's like. That's fair. You know. And this, it was so just it, very bland. I'm like, is this what goo's like? I mean, so it's just like I kept having it. And then, you know, you get to the finish. It's like, no, it's for chafage, for your nipples, for your armpits. I was going to say, what does it go on? Wait. Yeah, just nipples or armpits because a lot of people chafe significantly chafe. Yeah, during, yeah. you know, just stay lubricated. And I'm eating, I'm eating, I'm eating. And it was so funny. But then I, I feel like a complete dumbass. And I tell this whole story. I mean, it's so self-deprecating. It's like so authentic. Like I can't, I couldn't sugarcoat anything if I tried. But what was really cool is the fact that I hadn't trained, I knew nothing about running, and I was fueling off Vaseline, and I finished a marathon. Yeah. And it was like that placebo effect, right? I, and I always say, this is one thing that I've come up with over the years. Everyone says mind over matter, and I say matter over mind. I think mind over matter is bullshit. This is matter over mind, because anytime in those positions where you're doing something that's seemingly impossible, like running a marathon without training, you know, your mind gets in the way. Mine creates mm-hmm. a self-doubt. Mountain says, I'm not big enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm strong enough. Yada, yada, yada. 
And it comes back to matter. Does it matter enough? Is your why strong enough? Is your purpose great enough to convince you can do your mind totally, the, yeah. the impossible? And, and that was kind of what I proved to myself that day. And I'm like, wow, if I can run a marathon, given those circumstances, what could I do if I actually train mm-hmm. and have a nutritional plan and know what the hell I'm doing? And not and, eating jelly. And not eating jelly. Yeah, yeah. And All then, so jelly. I just started ripping marathons off the next couple of years. So that was, so San Diego Marathon was your hooking point? That was my hooking point. Wow. That was an inflection point in my life, for sure. Was it also what drew you to moving here? Um, not really. No, I, I left Merrill. Uh, there was a relationship at the time and I took it, ended up taking a job in Austin with state street. And so the girl I was dating at the time was living in San Francisco. So we decided to make a joint move, kind of meet in the middle. And I had a job opportunity there and relationship didn't work out. Job wasn't really what I wanted it to be. And then I was just kind of like, I left Merrill because I wasn't necessarily happy with what I was doing day to day. And then I thought maybe the move would solve that and it didn't. Mm. And, and then I got involved with, you know, the, the, the project of all projects that like I really want to do more than anything in life was uh, building a golf entertainment complex out here in San Diego. Mm. Uh, so like a top golf 2.0 yeah, yeah. with better technology, better gamification, more unique architectural design. So we started a company. I invest a lot of money into it. I moved out here and the tech didn't work at scale and we couldn't close the big capital. And we had to fall out of a couple pieces of property we had under contract. And, um, it was, it was a massive, massive loss. I had no idea. Yeah. That was, that's why I moved out here. So, I mean, and we assembled a team, we put so much into it. I mean, I worked my ass off on that project and just, there were a lot of things that I learned about that, but we were kind of, um, without, without saying too much, I mean, uh, wool kind of pulled over our head on a few things and I learned a lot from it, but it was hard. I, I lost friends out of it, mm. lost, lost a lot of money in the deal. Um, it kind of sent me spiraling down and, um, took me a while to kind of get out of that hole. Like that's probably the roughest thing I've dealt with in my life. Cause now I'm, I'm like a year ago, I'm at Merrill. Now I'm out here by myself. I don't know anyone. My network's 3000 miles away. My friends and family, my, my parents, everyone's back home. I'm in San Diego by myself. And I just went through this colossal thing. I'm like, the fuck? Yeah, it was it was really hard, man. It still stings to this day. It really does. What what? Uh, I mean, there's probably several things, but what kind of picked you back? Picked you back up? So I finally, after months of of ref- reflection and and actually like getting professional help and talking to people and like really like, I mean, going deep into myself, I finally came out with the hey, attitude of gratitude. You're healthy. You live on the beach in San Diego. Mm-hmm. You still have a, you know, a nice bankroll to fall back on and still have the, for the first time in your life, you have flexibility to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of the thing. I was like, now I can sort of do anything. And as I started getting in that mindset, I'm like, well, I want to be able to do something that I have full control over. And after all the running that I had done over the years, we didn't really touch on it, but you know, I started running for my goddaughter, Lucy, and for charitable reasons and ended up running a hundred miles on every continent. I had all these amazing visceral experiences through my running and I was just like, man, I missed that. So I was just, I I just started thinking more and thinking more. And I'm like, now's the opportunity. I've always had the Forrest Gump idea in the back of my mind. (laughs) The country is so divided. We need a positive example of unity. We're losing more vets a day to suicide than are actually killed in battle. It's a massive, massive epidemic that no one's talking about. And I want to run and be able to touch people's lives in every city that I traverse through. So I was like, I want to do this run across America. I'm going to work on putting this whole thing together. And that was like, you know, it took a year of planning and everything. And then I went and did that run. And so it was interesting that I went from the lowest point of my life and never feeling that lonely or that isolated, like seriously depressed yeah, yeah. And, and having 
seriously, some suicidal ideations myself. Like I was really in a bad shape to then the most incredible experience of my life Mm -hmm. and getting to share that with thousands of people across the country. And it was an amazing kind of V-shaped recovery, but I had to experience some of those lows. And now from the run, I mean, I've met brothers for life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, seen things, done things, experienced things that I, I wish everyone could do. I feel so blessed about it. So like if I could go back, I wouldn't change a thing, but you know, it was, it was definitely very, very interesting. Yeah. So incredible segue here Yeah. because that's the, that's definitely, so I, I guess to be fully transparent is, um, uh, so I go to George's gym here at 45 loyal, loyal member. Love yes. that, love that gym. The six thirty. Yep. That's my class. That's the class. Um, and, uh, and we always like have small talk in yep. between classes or after classes. And I knew you were an ultra runner. Um, and is ultra for starters, for anybody who doesn't know, that's a hundred mile or more. No, or so it- technical definition is anything longer than 26.2, anything longer than a marathon. Didn't so you know, have 50 Ks, 50 milers, hundred milers. You have, I mean, you saw Goggins doing the Moab 240. I mean, some of that stuff. And then you have stage races. I've done a lot of five day stage races that like over the five days will be 150 to 200 miles, but it's broken into parts. So there's all different sorts of stuff out there now, but technically it's just longer than 26. And I, th- yeah. And I think if I remember right, is we were having one of our small talks, you just finished uh, one of the ultras and we started having conversation because I'm, I'm super fascinated with anything like that. That's such an extreme um, sport conditioning athlete. Like the I'm, I'm fascinated and I do follow some guys like Goggins is one yep. of them, but I follow a couple other guys Rogan had on his podcast, a girl yep. who's done like a 200 miler and you just hear the <laughs> mental, the mental and physical bat, like what they go through. And, and uh, so obviously now I have direct access with someone. And I think I started asking you questions. Yep. You just got back. I'm like, Hold it. Stop right yeah, there. Yeah. You're like, that's we're it. We're putting this on the fuck. We're putting yeah. this on the podcast <laughs> and now leave it, leave it to me. This has probably been a month since then. And last night, George sent me, uh, uh, this documentary, um, video that hasn't been released yet that now watching it, I cannot wait, um, for when it does get released about the run across America, which also explains your Instagram handle, which I didn't understand either run across <laughs> America. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about that because the cause is incredible. Yep. Um, so I, th- I think the first thing I want to know is, is how you, you got your hands wrapped around or like your heart wrapped around um, that specific yep. cause. And then just watching it, because I know, you know, from an event coordinator, producer, yep. from, you know, we're in the video production. I, I know the amount of work. Yeah. The run, shitload of work. Yep. But I saw like how it was documented, how it was put together in, in, in certain cities you had groups and different things yep. that you were like, that was or- well orchestrated. That was a fucking big project. Massive project. That was a big project. So I guess what was the, yeah. for starters, where, where did you kind of get attached to that cause? Yep. And then um, how did, did you single-handedly put together yep. all the stages? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to take me a few minutes to get through all that. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah so as, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland. So surrounded by, you know, Naval Academy and a lot of midshipmen, a lot of my friends. I think we had six that went to the Naval Academy out of my graduating high school class, a lot that went abroad. So while I was working at Merrill, right out of college and building my career and having amazing experiences and being able to afford to travel and run races and do this stuff. You know, my, my friends are in Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever, Mm. putting their lives on the line and knowing that I was healthy enough. I think as I got older, and when I was like early twenties working at Merrill, like I didn't have the appreciation, but as I got older and watched what they went through and then some of the, the suicide stuff coming out there, I was just like, and I was really blessed and I was able to go over there and I didn't do it. So I always felt 
you know, it wasn't like I lost someone specifically. It was like, I felt this dead obligation to want to serve those that serve us. Mm-hmm. You know, as a great Chris Kyle says, that's our duty to serve those that serve us. And as I've gotten older, I really appreciate the things I've been able to do in my life. I've been very blessed. And it was kind of my way of wanting to pay that back in a unique way, right? Like mm-hmm. using my passion or skill set of mine to kind of give back in a unique way. So that's kind of how that all came together. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Um, I mean, the first thing I did was reach out to the charity because I was like, we got to have the right charity partner. Um, that's going to support us. That's going to get the mission. Because I said from the start, like I'm, I'm a no nonsense, no bullshit guy. I don't want this to have corporate flags and banners around this. Mm -hmm. And I don't want this to be some commercialized event, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is, this is George and his team doing something special authentically from the heart for the right reasons. Because you see too much of these things where they go out there and they do it. And it ends up just being a self-promotional advertisement for whoever the runner is and whatnot. And that Mm -hmm. was not what this was going to be. It was always going to be the mission over the miles. So I said that mission over the miles, mission over the miles. And um, so I got the charity on board and then I got Brian Famey, who I had gotten connected to. Brian's, uh, you've met Brian. He's in the studio. He's one of my best friends now. And he was my, um, like, logistics chief. Okay. And we call him the maestro. He's got a background of, of running um, triathlons in San Diego, a lot with logistics, a lot with content, media production, all that stuff. Really sharp guy, as detail-oriented as they came. And so we were kind of running in the same circle, fundraising for our big entertainment projects. And I kept sort of talking about, like, hey, man, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then after a while, he was just like, I can't sit this thing out. Like, this is my bread and butter. That's awesome. And so we really tag teamed it together. Like, I definitely couldn't have done it without Brian um, on the navigational side. But, like, the thing that was so hard about the run that doesn't even come across in the film was that we had eight or nine events, like big events, concert with 5,000 people, meeting a bunch of vets at VAs or VFWs, like going to the white, things like that that were scheduled before the run started. And then with me getting injured early and falling a little behind schedule, well, I have to be in Dallas tomorrow, but we're in New Mexico on the run. Mm. So I got to touch the stop sign, drive ahead eight hours, go speak in front of 5,000 people, get in the car, drive eight hours back, touch that same pole and start up again. We did that like eight times. And that was so hard because you're so in that razor focused mindset of getting it done every day. And then it's like, you're out of it. And then you're around all these people and you're having fun, you're raising money and you're having this incredible experience and you drive back and now your your knees are locked up and everything, you got to start running again. And that made it so hard. And that's why I'm so proud of what we did because we never said no to one of those opportunities. We were always there for the vets, for the fundraising, for the mission. Mm -hmm. And then George's miles were second, but that made it infinitely harder on me. And that was really challenging with it. So Brian staying on top of all that, being like, we got we to be at this church and then you got to do this media segment and then you're going to meet this news anchor and then we're going to go meet with a couple of vets here and then we have this mother we want to talk to and then, then you're back on the road running. So there were like some days where I'd start running at like five at night because like you have all these responsibilities yeah, yeah. about driving the message forward. So it made it, made it really tough. But like, so me and Brian were like point A and, you know, we were like the yin and the yang, right? You know, we talk about everything, strategy, navigation, where we're going, because there are a lot of times there were private roads or there was a mountain pass that was impassable or there's a, a, um, a flash flood and we can't get through like a river bank. So we have to change our route. Like, I mean, there's a lot of that yeah, stuff yeah. going on. Because you, like I said, you can't just run down the interstate. You can't just take the, the shortest route. Mm-hmm. You're figuring, I mean, especially getting through the mountains out here in California and a lot through Tennessee and stuff. I mean, you had, you had to get on trail. And some of that was really technical. So so anyway, like Brian, Brian, you know, did so much good work there. And then we brought a few more people onto the team. We brought Tucker onto the team. And 
his responsibility was driving the RV and keeping us up to date on supplies and just doing a lot of the grunt work, like the generator breaks, he fix it, like the, the toilet breaks, he's got to fix it, yeah. you know, all that stuff. And then we had James and another guy shooting all the film. So then it was like, where are they going to be stationed every day and what are their appropriate shots and what are their good angles with the sun? And then if we have an interview, like you see so many of those powerful interviews, like miking people up. And so, I mean, it was a total team effort. That's why I, I never even say like I ran across America. It's like we ran across America. I mean, I did the run. But, like, it was a total team effort. Yeah, and, and there was a couple of times watching it that your direct team had to be one of the biggest carriers. But there was a couple people you met with in certain towns that that in itself, like, they almost became part of your team. For sure. Because just listening, and I know you had to cover, like, snippets of those, yep. those inter- interviews, but, like, the mom of Malachi. Okay, or, yeah, Camille Barnes, yeah. Yeah, the mother there, and then the one guy you were talking into, into – uh, uh, shoot, I don't remember his name. Eric Pelotis, maybe, or, or Tony in the hospital with yes. exoskeleton. Oh. Yeah. Um, those those had to be like instant injections of, oh my God. You know, that, and that just becomes your team because you, I saw like the, the people in the RV crew and all that, like for starters, on day two when you had that shit happen, I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Dude, I was so, I couldn't have been, I was, hooked, I, was I was so blown away. I was already hooked when I saw that. I'm like, no fucking way. It was one of those, like, I, I'm, I'm being serious now. I was watching it on my phone and I had it hooked up to my Bose speaker because I'm like, okay, I saw it's an hour, 40 minutes long. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And when that happened, I'm carrying it from room to room. <laughs> I have to, fly. where is this going, man? And when I saw the Yuma day two, I'm like, oh shit, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Cause you sit there, you know, as, as the normal, the normal folks, you'd be like, oh man, I kind of rolled my ankle. I'm not going to go for a run this week or, or in general, I'm not going to work out. It's a whole different level well, watching here. Well, well, right. And, and, you know, I always say, like, the hardest thing about this run was convincing people that I could do it before it happened, right? I mean, no proof of concept. Like, yeah, I've run a few hundred milers and done some marathons and stuff like that, right? But, like, to go from there to running across America and getting people to want to support that because, like, I couldn't do it on, on my own. So getting Brian, getting the rest of the team, getting some financial backers, getting the charity yeah. to believe, getting some sponsors, right, that, like, you know, sending us food or sending us gear or just some things like that to make it a little more affordable for all of us that were funding it. And it was like convincing all of them to do that. And then here we are on day two or three and a knee ankle, Achilles ankle, my, you know, everything. And I'm like 2,900 miles to go. I felt like a fraud. Mm-hmm. Like I'm letting all these people down. Like I was out there to say, Hey guys, I can do this. Trust me. Yeah. And now here we are. We're not even out of California. And the thing is completely off the rails. Yeah. Falling behind schedule already. So it, it was... As much as you were in that day too, because I looked at him like, man, he is in physical pain. You had to have be an equal or more just like mental, just beating yourself Embarrassment. up. Embarrassment. Yeah. Embarrassment, totally. Yeah. Like, like like I just said, like feeling like a fraud, embarrassed, like trying not to let it show because I don't want the team and the morale of the team mm-hmm. to already start dropping. You know, we got to stay positive, guys. We're going to get there. And then, you know, people are having conversations behind your back, like, George isn't going to make it, you know, George mm-hmm. is going to make it. And then we had some of our um, corporate people back out um, or some people just kind of leave us high and dry when all of a sudden it didn't look like we were going to get there. Really? I'll never forget that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's you know, wild. yeah, it was, it was really hurtful when I was out there, like literally in tears and so much pain and walking 14, 15 hours a day, hobbling down the road, You're giving out it the back of your shoe, cutting out the back of my shoe. I couldn't even touch the Achilles. It was so painful for a good month and we were grinding and the team was there and we were raising money and we were drawing awareness to the mission and we were pushing so hard and then people just leaving us high and dry 
I mean, it's, it's something I'll never forget. And I'm very, I'm much more suspicious about meeting people now and letting them into my inner circle from that lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, I always like say like people started a negative with me now because I've been burned on things hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people that are there, your inner tribe, like you hold on to them for dear life. And we say that, like, if you have a good business partner, you have your close set of friends or people you can rely on, man, it's a rare thing, yeah. especially as you get older, man, digging your heels in, in there has to be like, that had to, that had to, played tenfold into you, like you coming out of it as a, as an entrepreneur, yep. as your business ventures, as, as just everything, you know, like your headspace after that has got to be, you know, what you're, what you have the capability of, of taking on is now just. It, it, yeah, it sets a foundation for what we're dealing with right now and everything else in life. I mean, you know, you look back at that situation, you know, probably nothing's ever going to be harder than that or worse than that. And there were lessons and skills that I can take from that that can translate to the rest of life. And that's what, that's what so many, you know, you'll hear it a lot from the different ultra runners out there, but ultra running is just very analogous for the journey of life. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm a better person and a better human when I'm challenging myself to three or four big races a year. Like it brings out the best in me as a person. Totally. And, um, and I think it allows me to, to grow in very unique ways. So how many people can say, cause I have no clue. How many people have ran across America? Like something around 350. Really? Yeah, it's small. Like more people climb Everest every year than actually like run across America. How many people know that you ran across America? I mean, we had we had a massive following when it happened. Um, I mean, we were we were ripping Facebook lives every day that we would have hundreds, if not thousands, of people on. And you and, had tons of people in like the communities you were yeah, going and the to. Tons people of people were running yeah. with you. People were. Yeah, I mean, ESPN did a couple bits on it. Fox and Friends was all over it. You know, I, I was basically on every news station in every town we ran through. So a lot of people knew about it. And it was a surreal, like where you ended, I, I heard you were talking, it was at the, the 9-11 yeah, memorial, yeah. which is an experience in itself. And you were talking and you said you could see the, where you worked, Wall Street and, and where, where I you lived. lived. Yep. That had to be the strangest full circle. It was, I, I mean, honestly, it like hit me at that moment. And it was like my commute used to be 3000 feet around ground zero to the World Financial Center for WFC. And now I commuted 3000 miles on foot. Right. Crazy. It, it, it just like everything come in full circle. And it was just so extraordinary to be there. I mean, the run started on 9-11 on the USS Midway. We were really impacted. Boston College lost 22 alumni that day. And I was at school. So that really hit home. So mm-hmm. my closest girlfriend, she lost her dad, who was a firefighter. He had worked the night shift. He was on his way back home to Staten Island, got the call, flipped the U-turn, went back in oh, on his shit. own. We never heard from him again. Holy and there were, there were so many stories like that. So like 9-11 is a moment that touches me strongly. And to, to start the run of 9-11, to have experienced 9-11 the way I did, and then to finish at the 9-11 memorial and get to reflect at the survivor tree, which is really, like, yeah. I mean, if you've never seen it, it's just amazing, right? It was like burned in half. And, you know, now it's, it's thriving and prospering mm-hmm. and it's growing. And it's just a symbol of America, really, to be honest. And um, it was the perfect way to finish it off. Oh, definitely. Don't let me, don't bother me. I'm going to look at my crib notes. Uh-oh. Cause I, dude, it was, right. it was such shit, a great documentary. Shit, shit's getting real now. <laughs> I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything no, no, here no. because I, I honestly have a feeling and just watching it. And I know I, I'm probably biased cause I, I know you off camera, um, that I do see it going to some sort of big scale, big network. I know we talked about before you came yep. on, whether it's a Netflix or Amazon prime and especially the time we're in right now. And, but just in general, you know, as like, as uniting as it was, it, everybody should see it. And I'm yep. not just saying it cause I'm sitting here with you. No. Everybody should see it. And I, and I, I felt obligated yep. to, 
to take things like a couple notes, but just want to talk about it. Um, Thank general. you. And honestly, that means the world to me. And it's, it's when people have that sort of reaction to it, like it brings me back to those moments and how proud I am that we didn't throw in the towel. Mm-hmm. Like we knew the mission was so important and we knew we could use this to really, you know, make a difference in people's lives and save lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were people along the way that we met that literally said like, you saved my life. Like I'm the, you're the reason we got out of bed in the morning, like things like that. And so that's, that's awesome to hear. Buddy. Thank you. Definitely. And so I have the quote, it was a quote that you said, Oh, that's what it was. And I knew I'm, I'm, I'm glad I had these notes. Oh, Jesus. Uh, you said, I think this was at the end that you said it was, it was your um, takeaway, but you said it's all about living in the present moment yep. and life is about relationships and experiences. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it, and it's wild because uh, I agree. I agree with that. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, but especially with where we are right now. And if anybody watches this down the road, you know, we're in the middle of a, a nationwide shutdown and all that is if anything more that's teaching is like, just be part of the present moment. You know, this is what we have right now. Tomorrow might be different. A month from now is going to be different. And a month back was different as well. So all you can do is like really just stare down the face of the barrel with the present moment. And then, and, and I've definitely learned through this too, how powerful um, my relationships are yep. because right now money can't really do anything for us during this, yep. this weird fucking shutdown. Um, and a lot of the normal resources, like I said, we've been stripped of our, um, of our weapons as leaders um, right now that I look like, well, what do we lean on? Great relationships is, is one go-to. Yep. So when you said that it, it really hit home how important and, and from your team to the people there. And I'm sure by running across America and doing that, your relationship capital is a term that we've kind of yeah. <laughs> coined on here the amount of relationships I can only imagine has gone through the roof. People now are like lifetime friends or lifetime Big partners. Um, so the, the relationships and experiences is, is yep. um, a, a great way of describing it. Doing meaningful things with the people you love. Like when people ask me like, what's kind of your definition of happiness? And I say it's relationships and experience. It's having meaningful visceral experiences with the people you love. Like that's mm-hmm. really what that means to me and, and living in the present is that's what I, you know, that's what the injuries forced us to do is that instead of having a hard timeline, like 60 days, 50 miles a day, start on 9-11, finish on Veterans Day, 11-11, like if, if, if I didn't get injured and we stayed to that schedule, we would have missed it. Mm-hmm. Like we would have missed the experience. Yeah, yeah. Like we would have just ran past people. Hey, I don't have time. I got to get another 10 miles in today. Not going to sit down with Camille and shake her hand and and listen to her story and, and stopping at those hospitals and everything that we did, we would have missed the experience and I'd be so regretful. So everything that we went through happened for a reason. It was a blessing in disguise and, and, and that relationships and experiences and living in the present, not worrying about getting to New York, but staying on your own two feet in that present moment. Amazing life lesson I'll take for it. Yeah. It's crazy because New York was your finish line. And, you know, as a runner, your, your mentality probably is, I got to get to that finish line as mm-hmm. fast as fucking possible. So it was almost like channeling or curbing that part of you. And you hear people say all the time, and I'm a firm believer, you know, whether it's business or life or personal, like you have to make sure you're enjoying the process yep. because then the finish line is not going to feel feel nearly as, as rewarding totally. um, if you're not enjoying the process. And that's the finish line is is appearingly what 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 it's all about. But to, like, to your experience, yep. no, like no, everything not. leading up it, that was the finish line. That was the finish line. You know? Um, so I thought that was great. I also think um, beast mode for the brave. Yep. That that foundation is 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 incredible too. And yep. and and I think one of the guys on there made a great point and um, you know, you hear the term suicide and and especially like isolating it down to like veteran suicide. Um, you know numbers and you know stats, but I think what happens, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too, 
is you don't really look at it or impact you until it's on your front door, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and for me watching it and, and hearing some of those people's direct story, especially like I keep using the mom as an example, yep. um, it's not on my front door, but now, you know, watching it, it's, it's, um, a great, great cause that I had I didn't know anything about. Mm-hmm. And you'd think, you know, um, that these are, are warriors, you know, they're coming back. They need the le- the least amount of help. You know, they're warriors. They're in every definition of the way, physically, like these guys are warriors. They're going to come back. This is a walk in the park. And in some cases, that's the issue, right? Because they come back, they have that warrior mentality, and they're too tough to admit that they need help. Mm -hmm. And so they're afraid to open up about it and talk about it. Like Mm -hmm. suicide is something that people keep very close to the vest or depression or just mental health issues. And I I mean, like what Malachi went through, right? I mean, he had to shoot kids. He had to kill a couple kids to protect his people. Mm-hmm. And the the terrors that he lived with from that experience, and like the way you say, "Mommy, I, I I can't take that back." Like when you shoot a child, you can't take that back, mm-hmm. and that drove him to the point of putting a bolt in his head. And so I think there's a lot of guys that come back, maybe not exactly that situation, but you know they go over there, and if they're killed, that's their destiny, and they're okay with that. But they come back, and they're not prepared for either the physical wounds or mm-hmm. the emotional wounds. And they don't know how to deal with it. And then it leads them down to this path of isolating and depression and ultimately in a lot of cases taking their lives. And it's, it's very tragic sacrifice that they make is so significant. I mean, I'll never fully understand it through my experiences. I think I have a a much better appreciation than a lot of people do now, but I, I think it's something that we all need to do more. And if there's common ground to be found in this country where there's like no common ground on anything, yeah, yeah. can it be supporting our, our military heroes and our warriors that volunteer to fight on our behalf? Yeah. They're volunteering out of high school to go do that. Yeah. That was a, that was a, a really big point that someone put out there is, you know, the average age um, that's going over there and they're still kids. They're still kids. And you're, you're, you're kids yeah. into your twenties. Yeah. For the most, I definitely was big time. So I look like, even if, if I went over and had that experience now, um, and it's not like a long weekend. It's they're over there. They're over there. You yeah. know, they, they integrate into the, the culture, lifestyle and, and, and military minded. Right. You know, if I were going over there now at my age, it would be really, really difficult. Right. These, these are just kids. Yep. They're kids going over, man. Yep. And, and I and I think someone on there, were, it might have been you on there saying that, you know, reintegrating back, them back into our culture, whether it is like some sort of mandatory program yeah. because if it's, if it's optional for someone who's got like, they're built off bravado and, right. and, and masculinity and all that, they're going to pass on If it. it's optional, they'll they're, just be like, yep. I'm not going to be the guy that says to, I'll do it while all these other guys aren't doing it. Right. A mandatory like reintegration. I think that's a, a, an incredible concept for what these guys are going through. And there's probably other industries that could, could use the mm-hmm. same. Like I, a lot of my friends back in Arizona are firefighters and the shit that they see, um, even like just in the Phoenix fire department and, Back right. there, um, it's it, it is so abnormal to the person who just goes in. Like I, I'm in an off office yeah. for the most part, right. or like my my walking talk. Like that, there's there's got to be some sort of like integration p- process that isn't isn't right. a uh, optional. It's like hey, mandatory, and that's their career. So it's a mandatory. Hey, X amount of time um, every quarter or every so many months. It's a mandatory. Right. Let's just touch base. Yep. You know, because they see a lot of fucked up shit too. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and military trauma is trauma. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, and I don't know where you like. I, I don't know now with the beast mode for a brave. Are you? Is that stump, something? Because this was 2016. Are you still fairly? Um, yeah, I mean, still, and, still in constant communication with Jeff Kyle and with Talon, and like working together and trying to push things forward. So, absolutely. I mean, I want to. 
use this film as, as a way to really um, drive the conversation forward and really like, cause I, I think the story is like you mentioned too, like it's, it's a lot different when it lines up on your doorstep or like that mm. personal connectivity of a story versus a statistic and a punchline. I mean, totally. we read it 20 suicides a day. Okay. We go back to our day-to-day lives. But when you actually see the pain in a woman's eyes, who just had her son put a bullet in his head. I mean, it's a completely different experience. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's, we all need to chip in. We all need to do more. You know, mm-hmm. it's not something I say like government ain't going to fix it. Military isn't going to fix it. Civilians aren't just going to fix it. We all need to unite on the problem. And I, I think it's something that we should all get behind. Well, I think, I think that in itself is more of a reason why it should be seen on like a large scale because I, I mean, I wasn't completely clueless, but I was as close to clueless about how, how bad it, it is. Mm-hmm. So man, you've got, you've got a massive supporter, um, for that. And, 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 and as a follow-up, are you, it's been four years. I know it might've said something before we sat down, you, you've had conversations about running back across again, or uh, maybe there, there could, there could be a, a reunion run at you, some point. You know, what's so funny. It's, it's too soon, right? It's, it's, it's still too soon, but well, I was, I was already intimidated <laughs> when I knew you were doing ultras because you have, and I love it that you have the runners club at, at F45. And I usually go and I do the classes and I try to go to strength and conditioning. <laughs> so it's more weights day. And I kept getting the, Hey man, you're going to do the runners. Club. And every time I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm like, this motherfucker's probably going to drag me in like 15, <laughs> 20 miles. Now that I don't know you run across America. Oh, I don't want to hear it, man. I, I'm this guy's be, in great shape. Are you kidding I'm me? I'm going to be ducking for cover. You're lifting, you're boxing, you're doing <laughs> hit classes. You're doing multiple workouts a day, dude. You're crushing it. Trust me. You can handle the runners club. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> so with that said, I, I, I know like I, I definitely want to touch on F45 because sure. you just had your one year anniversary, right? Yep. How's, uh, how's that process been going into to the fitness industry? Yeah. So it was when I got back from the run, it was, that was kind of my introduction in F45 because I had lost so much weight. I was so run down. I honestly, I, I didn't know if I was ever going to run again. I didn't know if I was ever going to want to work out again. I was just so deflated from the 3000 miles and everything that went into that run. And after about a month of just kind of feeling sorry for myself, I'm like, all right, I got to get back. I got to turn the physical engines back on. And the F45 in La Jolla had just opened up. And I took one class. It brought me back to high school or training mm-hmm. with your brothers, the music, the energy, the social vibe. And I was like, I fell in love with it. And I was like, like within the next week, I had purchased a territory. I oh, wanted no to way. open up one and now I got three of them. So, but I, so I truly, I love F45. I mean, I take 10 to 14 classes a week. Yeah, yeah. I just love being around the people and the energy and the excitement and the enthusiasm about it. And, and really the social interaction about, like we talked about, like putting your phone away for 45 minutes and interacting in the real world. And I think when we reopen, that's just going to be more prevalent. People mm-hmm. are going to be dying to get out of the digital 100%. world. And I think people are, aren't going to take for granted those real life relationships. Like I think we're all guilty of doing with being attached to our computers in our pockets. And so I'm really excited, but like F45 has been amazing. I just think it's a great concept. I love the model. I like the boutique um, element of it. And the fact that, you know, everyone's name, you know, a little bit about them, you know, their goals. And it's just like, it's just one big pile of love. And that's what I love. And it's just, we're just spreading love and the, like the accomplishments in the studio that you see people make translate to their lives, business relationships, whatever it's empowering, it's confidence building. And that, that's what I love. So it's, it's, it's an amazing gift to be able to help give that to people. Definitely. So I, it's funny, I have an interesting history with F45 as well. Um, but I want to start by saying I've been a big box gym member. I've been F45 members obviously for a while, but, uh, and I won't say where I, I still have a big box gym membership, 
I don't know one trainer or staff member's name there right. and vice versa. I, ma- I imagine it's only vice versa, but it's always been that way at, yep. at the big box gyms. And I actually, the same, the F45 in La Jolla was the first one I went to and a friend invited me and said, you got to come check this out. Never heard of it. Never done anything, mm-hmm. anything like that. Right. And fell in love with it for the same thing. Like the trainers were incredible. I knew I could walk in and it was brainless. They just put me through the work. I'm like, yep. fuck, this is great. Mm-hmm. Phones, phones gone 45 minutes. I felt like it was an hour 45 and I was out the door. Um, but I've gone to shoot, man, maybe a dozen cents. I've been a member at half of them, but like when I go to other visiting cities, like I'll go to the F 45 in that right. city. And I, I may have told you this, what I've found is F 45 is not as much about the location, but it's about the trainers. Totally. And, and I've gone to a gym, an F 45 that was, you know, I could split the difference. It was just as close as yours, mine, but there was no connection and just the trainer experience yep. wasn't there. Um, so, uh, I guess the question is, and it makes sense now really sitting down with you because I know good, good people attract good people is how was that vetting process or how did you kind of build the staff? Cause you have an incredible, yeah, I have an team. incredible staff. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, if I, I think most people, I, I'm very open and honest about everything and I'm very generous and I'm very giving. So it just kind of happened a lot organically. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily like really recruiting people. I mean, Brent, I got connected to through his brother. He was in LA. He was kind of looking for a transition in his life. We just kind of hit it off and it just sort of makes sense. And he was kind of looking to get out of LA and he's got an incredible background I and mean, he's got his master's training for the Olympics. Yada, 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 an amazing athlete, like guys mm-hmm. a stud. And so that just kind of happened. And then Jason actually, I, I've known him for a while. And then we just kind of hit it off, became really close friends. And he was only training a couple times a week. And then he was at another studio and then it just kind of, we were vibing. He's like, I actually like being here more than there. It just naturally occurred. Kind of same thing with Jordy. Will, I knew he was one of the first people I met when I came out here. We chatted like three years ago. I was like, man, I think I'm going to open this studio. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'd love to have you be a part of it. And then, so we just had that on the back burner and then, you know, whatever, two and a half years later he was there and it just kind of, and then Lauren came in, fills a great role for us. And so I, I'm super blessed to have the team, yeah. super blessed. I mean, they're amazing. They do make the vibe. And, and the other thing, what I really love about it is it's it's not douchey and it's not intimidating. Like you have a D1 athlete working out with a 60-year-old grandmother mm-hmm. side by side. Yep. And it's not, well, you're better than me or you're worse than me. It's like, let's work hard together to be better than we were yesterday. And totally. that's what it's all about in there. Totally. It's what I love. And I've got to, I've been able to do this with friends um, and, and just coming from business on, on my own is I love watching the progression of it because I met you when, it, before you were open and it was right. still like, you know, you're still, yeah, we were chatting on the sidewalk that day and I'm yeah. like, Oh, I'm going to blow my brains out. And you were like, like general contractors fucking killing me. Like, yeah. come on, man. Yeah. And now to come full circle and see like the community you've built and how many people are just like, you know, that's, that's church to them. Yeah. Um, it's awesome to watch. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to have uh, a few different friends where I've got to watch from the ground up yep. and it's a really cool experience. I imagine even, even more for you. Um, that fills that void, especially coming from what you're talking about from the Merrill's to, yeah. to the golf into to this, like it's, it's, it's incredible, man. Um, so big fan, big supporter. Well, we, we love you, man. Yeah. We yeah. love you. So, so what now? So run club is on. Yeah. yeah, yeah I got I'll a commitment for that. Club. Run club is on. I'll do run club. Right. It, we might have to stay six feet apart, but in fairness during <laughs> this quarantine, I've been running a lot, a lot more. So I think I'm prepared now. Okay. So we're good. Um, it's actually not me. You got to worry about it's Lucia. Yeah, yeah, we did we did the relay together. Yeah, she's a beast. Yeah, she's a beast. Yeah, so that's she, why I put you together. There was with a couple her. Of times she was she was screaming at me, which uh, <laughs> which was much needed, but it was great. Um, so so now I, I guess you know, kind of steering towards the end. What uh, 
what's really, what's really getting you to jump out of bed now? Like what are there certain things you're, whether it's like off the court or outside of business, are there, are there certain things that you're, you're really pursuing? I know this pandemic has thrown a lot of things off course, but are there, there are certain things that you can or cannot talk about or like that you're, you're, you're chasing. No, I, right I mean, I'm trying to work on myself for sure. I mean, a little bit every day, just trying to become a better human being through this experience, which has challenged me. Um, I mean, when F45 reopens, I think we're gonna have an opportunity to pick up a lot of market share. And so I'm really trying to do things, be a leader, be out front, be in front of the community. Like we mm. do the Zoom happy hours, we're doing the virtual workouts, we're gonna be doing some other really cool stuff. So trying to do that. I'd like to resurrect the golf project at some point in time. And I, mm. I potentially have some, some players for that. We were actually getting serious in some conversations when this happened. So like, like that, that's still like my white elephant long-term totally. and I, that would just absolutely crush here. I mean, it'd probably take four years to get it done, but there's some unique land opportunities here in, in San Diego and I would love to do it. And we have a concept where we can do it on four or five acres, not on 15. So you can do it in more of an, wow. of an urban market, which is very unique mm-hmm. and uh, something that top golf can't do. So like, that's something that I really want to pursue long-term and, and, you know, I got bad water. Um, that I'm running this summer, which, which is, is it, aggressive, which is aggressive. It still hasn't been canceled. I mean, it's crazy. Really? It's, the race director is, I mean, he's such a badass. He's just, that guy is like bad is the world's hardest race. I'm the world's toughest race director. The show goes on. I mean, you're, you're, I, I mean it's good. there's 35 runners from different countries. Like how are they all going to fly in? The race is in two and a half months. It's July 6th. How are all these people going to get in? Is that one in where's death Valley? Death Valley. Yeah, in the middle of July. So it's 125, 130 degrees, and it's 135 miles, and then it finishes climbing Mount Whitney. That's the finish line, the Whitney portal. It's, it's and insane. And that's all a straight shot. That's not, there's not legs of it. You're doing That's a point to point. Yeah. What is the, because I, I can't it's, do calculate. It's so absurd, man. What, and this has been my dream hours? race. So you have, you have 48 hours to finish it. What, what, do you, what, what do you, what's your goal? I, I would like, my goal is to be the top rookie and potentially break 30 is kind of my, my stretch goal. Damn. Like, is it, is it true towards like the end you start having like, uh, hallucinations? Yeah. hundred percent. Really? All the time. Especially if you're in the mountains or in the woods, because then you're hearing stuff, the wind's blowing, every stick looks like a snake. You're seeing things in the distance. You're imagining like you see animal, like it's really bizarre, man. It's how, really bizarre. How do you handle it the first time? Oh, you mean you're freak just, out? you're scared. You, you totally freak out. But that's not the worst of it because at least you're moving forward. It's like when you when you black out or collapse on the side of the road, like that's kind of when things get scary. Like I had I had a situation in Australia, my first race. It was in Northwest Australia. So, I mean, as remote as it gets, it took five flights to get there up in the Kimberley. And it was so hot. Australia, that sun feels like it's 100 feet above your head. And I just wasn't smart about my hydration and my electrolytes. And I fell behind on it. I was pushing hard. This was my second ultra ever. And I blacked out in a ravine and collapsed and I was down for like six, seven hours. And honestly, I didn't think I'd have the strength to ever get up and move. And meanwhile, we're out there, there's snakes, there's insects, tarantulas, crocodiles. We were running through rivers. There's a million things that could have killed you out there. So I was scared to begin with. And at that point I was so busted up. I didn't care if a snake bit me or I was just, I was just like, and like literally had to wait it out till the sun went down stumbled to the finish line in 164th place that day, had three IV bags that night, and then got back in the race and finished it and ended up finishing 22nd. So like fought fought back from that first day, but that day almost killed me. 
Jesus, man. Yeah, that was that was a gnarly race. And I had a cast on. I had just blown out my other wrist. I had wrist surgery, SL ligament on both of them. I don't know. I have like re- your, your, really weak wrists, your, I guess. I'm not got, using them enough. And your ankle's been re- reconstructed. Ankle's been reconstructed. I've had multiple surgeries. So like, yeah, I ran that race with a cast on. And at one point when I fell, the pin protruded the skin. So I had to take the cast off. It was a waterproof cast and pull the pin out. Jeez. That was during the same race and put the cast back on. I took a beating out there, man. It was Good ugly. Grief. It was so ugly, man. I'm, I, I, so I'm guessing you you were the the one who inspired the the tagline saying on all the F45 shirts in your studio. Isn't it? Did you die? But did you die? Did you die? Well, Is that coming from you? I, I I wish I could take credit. It's coming from <laughs> Hangover too. That was the first. Oh, okay, okay. Remember when he like temporarily dies from uh, coke, oh, and yeah, then he yeah, wakes yeah. up. He's like, yeah, "But crazy. did you die?" <laughs> So, but we'd always say that it was funny. We'd always joke around a bunch of the members just after the class and everyone's dying and huffing and puffing. And it's like, oh, I'm so dumb. But did you die? No, yeah, you're yeah. still alive. That is funny. So yeah, we, we like that one. Well, hey man, this has been awesome. It's amazing. Um, really appreciate it. Are we time. done already? He, Let's I, keep rolling, it, man. This it, is fantastic. Know, I'm having it, a blast. It flies. Well, maybe we'll do, we, we, we wanted to start doing some follow-ups actually at the guests, like their business or okay. studio or in your case, I mean, I don't think we're going to be making it to Death Valley. <laughs> um and recording there but we wanted to start doing some follow-ups with with some of the the guests we have on like at their right in their world so um but no this was this was awesome, awesome. You, you definitely have a whole team of supporters when this documentary comes out and um that'll be behind you so uh thanks for making the time well man. Th- thanks so much this was incredible honestly this is considering everything we're going through, this has been one of the highlights of my last month just to be having great conversation. And, you know, you said a lot of nice things about uh, me, vice versa, man. I'm really proud of you. You've built some incredible stuff, but more so just your character, who you are as a person. Um, and that reflects with the people that surround themselves with you. So I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I look up to you in a lot of ways as well, man. So just, just know that. And thank you for the opportunity to be here. Hey, appreciate it, man. Yeah. Much, much love.